Williams and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It certainly was deliberate. It was intentional. I don't mean that in a bad way, but but at the near beginning of Monty Austin Fort's introductory press conference today, which you heard here live on Arizona Sports, because of course you would, um, Monty starts talking about you know working to make a unified message, and as he's kind of going from his early remarks, you know where he's not being asked a question, at the very end he slipped in the line that got everybody's attention in a big hurry. We're going to focus on a completely unified message across the general manager, the head coach, and ownership to what exactly we want to be as a football organization. We're going to institute a thorough and exhaustive scouting process. We are going to turn over every stone to find the right players for this team. We are not just collecting talent. We're going to build a team. We're going to look for the right type of players. Ego will not be tolerated in this organization. We are going to look for focused, driven, and people that are willing to put the team first at every step of the way. And that was the money line right there. Yep. Ego will not be tolerated. It, now, you I'll, could just feel everybody sit up in their seats and go, oh, right? Right. Yeah. right. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. And the first thing, and it's it, you have to go this way. You're drawn to Kyler Murray. Of course. Of course. You're drawn to Kyler. You're drawn to Kyler's ego. You're drawn to, you know, Kyler's not being accountable. And that was a big deal. The accountability, the ego, you know. It's not going to be tolerated. You're not going to be in. Now, Kyla's got a guaranteed contract. He's going to make all this money. You you don't have any leverage over him outside of, you know, and this will be, you know, will this be a bad, will Kyler accept the new coaching? And then maybe, listen, maybe for the better of Kyler, you know, everybody's counting Kyler out. Right, everybody's just counting Kyler out. Oh, he's got he's not accountable, he doesn't have an ego. Maybe he just didn't have the right coach. Maybe uh-huh. the, the coach bro thing with Cliff was just you know, in 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 the in theory it was a good idea to have an offensive guy help Kyler right away. But maybe what Kyler really needs is a guy that's gonna kick him in the ass. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now different guys like to be coached different ways. Okay? I you know I used to when Matt I used to get calls from Matt Leinart about Ken Wizard on all the time. He hated the way Ken Wizard. He wanted to be he wanted to be told that he's the guy and I believe in you and you're going to be great. And Ken wasn't like that. So mm-hmm. there was a that's not the way Matt needed Pete. Pete was always you're going to be great. Oh, don't worry about it. you're going to be you know. So Pete the way Pete coached Matt was great, but Matt hated the way that Ken Wizard uncoached him. And I would talk about it with Matt all the time. He called me after practice and told me much he hated Wizard on. So now you've got Kyler who's had Cliff, and maybe in theory it was the right thing to do, but maybe what Kyler really needs is somebody that's going to kick him in the ass to get the most out of him, and maybe Kyler will respond to and this. And that's why I'm not writing off Kyler Murray at all. I, I mean, not not for one second, because we just don't know how he's going to respond to a coach like that. And, and of course, Monty's not going to be his coach, but Monty's going to hire the guy who's going to be his coach, and presumably that same set of values will be mm-hmm. part of the new coach's mantra, right? And, and, and I want to be fair to Monty Austin for today. He never once mentioned Kyler's name specifically when speaking about this ego will not be tolerated thing, right? I mean, he never once tied that directly to Kyler, and frankly, neither did Michael Bidwell. But I'm with you. I heard it. Of course, how can that not be the first thing you think of? It was the first thing that popped into my head. Later, 
in the press conference, Michael Bidwell was asked about the ego statement. Ego will not be tolerated. And he said it's absolutely related to the, the discussions I had with players in this organization about what direction to take this organization. I think it is related. And uh, it was described in a different way. It was accountability. We need more accountability. And uh, that is something that Monty and I talked about. And it's, it's, it's clear that that's going to be an emphasis here. And that's what he just described is setting ego aside. And it's all about accountability to the team. Team. So I think it's absolutely related. It's absolutely something our players are interested in. And, uh, and that, that, that was something I had in my mind when I was evaluating. There's a lot of players that want to be coached. They want to be pushed. They want to win. And, you know, if they think you're going light on other guys, you're not pushing them or you're not holding them accountable, it, it, it eats at them. And when they get their opportunity to talk to Michael Bidwell, hey, what's wrong with this team? I'll tell you what's wrong with this team. We don't really need these guys accountable. Mm-hmm. They can show up late for a meeting. They can curse out the coach and nothing happens. And so, you know, you know, we're not going to win like that. So it's your opportunity if you're a player and you're unhappy with what you're seeing, you know, and you work hard every day, you show up, you like, there's no questions about you, but you're looking at other guys and they're not giving the same effort. Yeah. And then now, now it's your opportunity to say, this is why we're not winning. You know, not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody's committed to winning. Not everybody's committed to doing what's right for the best for the team. And that's why they said it was a very team first oriented meeting to uh, press conference today. Team's going to come first. Yeah. And, and Monty Austin Fort, again, elaborating, was asked to on the ego not being tolerated. And, and here's where he went with that. There's one goal here. It's to win. Okay. There's there's no putting personal interests in front of the team. Um, I was I was told once the definition of mental toughness is putting the team in front of something that maybe would have been better personally for me. So that to me is the type of players that we're looking for. And I understand some in the fan base who might worry about how Kyler is going to react to all of this. I, I don't worry about it at all because it, it, it you'll you'll find out everything you need to know about Kyler based off of how he reacts yeah. to this, right? If he if he rejects it, if he chooses not to embrace it, then you have your answer. Now, unfortunately, it's a very expensive proposition, but you have your answer. But I, I don't think we can assume that he's going to reject it. I don't think we're going to assume that he's not going to take well to it. I, I, I'm not going to. In fact, there's, there's part of me that very much believes that he wants to be great and ultimately will accept this style. Again, depending on who the head coach is and depending on what the vision is. And I, and I, look, I hate to make this all about Kyler. I'm sure there are other guys on the team. And then look, let's say this too. And I saw this on social media as well, and I think this has to be said to a certain extent. You do need... You do need ego on your team, right? You do need self-belief in you as a football player. That fuels a lot of what you do. It just can't get in the way of the team concept, right? You're talking self-confidence? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what ego is in a certain regard. Yes, I I mean, you absolutely, you you don't think, you don't think... Buda Baker has an ego, you know? Yeah, he does, right? Because he goes out there and, and he he believes in his ability. He thinks very highly of himself and his ability to do well when he's called upon. That's not necessarily always totally a bad thing, especially in the arena of the National Football League, where you better have a really high dose of self-belief, because if you don't, you're probably going to get killed out there. You know, so it's, it's uh, casting all ego and saying it's all bad, it's all bad, it's all bad. No, man, you need ego in the National Football League. You just, to the point of Monty Austin for it, you can't let it get in the way of the bigger picture goals, and you can't make it about just me and not about the other 52 guys that you're sharing that locker room with. That's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, there's the, you know, I'm going to walk the walk and I'm going to talk the talk thing, right? I mean, a lot of those guys can do it. But I think with Kyler, a lot of people were worried about 
the simple fact that he'd been successful at every single level that he's always been at, and he thinks that he can get by on talent alone. And to get to the next level, there's going to be a, there's going to be a level of dedication that Kyler Murray doesn't even know what that is right now, right? To get to that next level, there's going to be a level of dedication he's going to have to put into it. And people question that. They don't question his talent. He's a talented kid. But, you know, you could get stagnant here, and this is the player you are. But if you want to get to that next level, you're going to have to work a hell of a lot harder than he's working right now. When we come back, now that one of the openings has been filled, it is time to focus on the remaining opening. We know the GM. Who's the coach going to be? That's coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. I think we're all going to be in, involved in this search. We're, this is going to be a collaborative process. We are going to find, you know, you know Michael and others in the organization have, have names. that I have names. We're all going to sit down and we're going to talk this through together. This is an exciting process that we're all going to be involved in. And ultimately, we're going to find the right head coach that, that shares the vision and, and philosophies that, that we want this, this Arizona Cardinals team to look like. New Cardinals general manager, Monty Austin Fort, which still, I don't know about you, it still is weird to process in my brain, right? Just because it's been... Because Steve Kime had been here for so long? Yes. Mm-hmm. And somebody internally had been the general manager for so long. I mean, 1994 was the last time... My, my son's getting married in five weeks. The last time they went outside the organization to hire a general manager, he wasn't born, right? Like, I mean, it's been that long since they've, they've well, done you know, it. We so also just, haven't heard from Steve... You know, we did yeah. hear from Cliff, and then Cliff's in Thailand or something now. And Bought a one-way ticket. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was the, that was the, that was the, that was maybe, I don't know if there's anything about this weekend that brought a smile to my face more than uh, Peter Stringer, of all people, who obviously has got a really good connection with Cliff Kingsbury, than Cliff Kingsbury, I bought a one-way ticket to Thailand. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm coming back. Not two I, tickets to paradise, no, a one, one-way ticket to Thailand. One-way ticket to Bangkok, man. I'm out of here. I See you later. Gone. One way ticket to Thailand, <laughs> won't you? And I'm, pack your bags. O- only uh. assuming that there was somebody next to him who also had a one way ticket to Thailand. But yeah, that's the. It just made me laugh. No, it's just yeah because we haven't heard from Steve and we're just so used to from Rod Graves, Steve Kime, internal organ. You know, people within the organization. I'm still getting used to this idea that they went out the organization yeah. to hire somebody. But now that the attention turns to the coaching hire, and, and that was money. Austin Fort, and that was after the press conference. That was kind of the media scrum afterwards on you know who takes the reins of the coaching search. And he was even asked a question: Have you crossed paths with Sean Payton in, during your time in the NFL? Here's what he said: I have not. I obviously have watched from afar and seen the success. Sean Payton's a phenomenal coach. He's had a lot of success in this league, but have not um, have not crossed paths with him. What do you think this does with the coaching search now that the GM is in place? My initial thought is that you know. And there's two ways to think. There's the Brian Flores way and the Sean Payton. My initial thought is that Sean Payton's not going to come here because he has interviews lined up with three teams and he doesn't have an interview lined up with the Arizona Cardinals. They asked for permission to speak with them, but we don't know about a date. So I think that one of these places Sean Payton's going to go to is going to like lock him in a room and not let him leave. 
I mean, I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's, and he said he's interested in the Texans job. So I think before he would even get to interview in Arizona, he's going to lock down a spot with somebody else because they're just going to present him with an offer and a plan. And he's going to say, I'm just going to take this. This is too good. I'm not going to wait on this. You know, and the other thing is that these other teams have to know quickly from Sean Payton, because if you're not going to take this job, then I have to move on and get a coach because I'm battling with these other teams. Sure. So, you know, that way, I think if you're meeting with Sean Payton, you like, hey, I need to know like now, like I'm not, I'm not going to give you a week. Two, the Brian Flores thing is interesting. Everybody's tying him to Brian Flores, but I don't know that that necessarily means that just because you know they know each other and they work together that they're gonna, that he's going to hire him. I would think that he's going to interview a few different people and see what the best fit is. He's been in this league for a long time. He's been around a lot of players. He he has a good idea for what he likes in a coach. Now, if that's Brian Flores, great. You know, I like D'Amico Ryan's. I like Brian Flores as a candidate. I'm not against that at all. I like. I don't mind a defensive guy coming in here. I do think it's going to end up being a defensive guy. Feels like it. Because if Sean Payton's not going to be that guy, the other candidates right now, Vance Joseph, D'Amico Ryans, and Brian Flores are, are defensive-minded. Maybe he's got somebody in place that Michael Bidwell, you know, that we don't know about that he wants to interview for the job. Um, so, and, and I do think it's important that he has familiarity with the guy because they can have that working relationship. If they've worked together, that's probably a benefit. But I just, I don't know. I'm not sure on whether that, if Brian Flores is the lead guy just because they work together. No, and, and that's, honestly, that's not the only reason why I'm making that kind of leap. I, I think it's going to be Brian Flores, but that's just an educated guess at this point. Not educated because I've talked to anybody. Just it, it Part of it is because they work together. Part of it is kind of that we talked about this when Brian Flores' name was revealed last week. There was that immediate rush of, oh man, the Cardinals loved him back in 2018. Albert Breer tweeted about it and Peter Schrager tweeted about it and there was just like this flood in the marketplace of, of oh no, man, they really, really liked him back in 2018. I like Brian Flores a lot. I like him as a candidate a lot. And maybe part of this is just me kind of putting my own will onto this a little bit. Like, I'm hoping for Brian Flores, because I think Brian Flores would be a heck of a choice. He's got the head coaching experience, so he kind of got the first one out of the, out way. Of the way a yeah. little bit, right? He got, he's, he's got what not to do, side. right? I think he brings a real level of toughness and accountability to the equation that Cliff just didn't bring to the equation. Yes, there is an inevitably the New England connection that a lot of people will connect the dots to. I just It, it just feels like he... It feels like it's trending that direction, but I, I don't know. It might not. And I think the other thing with Sean Payton, too, he did that in appearance on Cowherd's show yesterday. And he mentioned the three teams this week that he was going to have interviews with, and he didn't mention the Cardinals. No. You know, a lot of people that raised an eyebrow. I think Colin kind of cut him off before he had a chance to finish his thought. But but it could also be that the Cardinals didn't schedule an interview with Sean Payton yet because they wanted to get the general manager in place first. Michael has been saying all along, that's the order he wants to follow. GM first, and, the, and if he has to deviate from that, he will. But will Sean but Payton prefer to do it? Will Sean Payton work with a a GM that he doesn't know? It feels unlikely. It I feels mean, very unlikely. Right. It, it just doesn't seem like that's how this is going to go for Sean Payton, does it? No. What do you think about Vance Joseph? They mentioned they were going to interview Vance uh, today. Let me, let me play that cut here. I do. I do see it uh, that we're going to start on it right away, and and I can confirm that we're going to be interviewing Vance Joseph. Uh, that that is scheduled, uh, and and so uh, we're going to be talking to Vance. And also, uh, I use the phrase uh, casting a wide net. We will be casting a wide net. We have put out some requests uh, for permission for some of the coaches that are that are in the playoffs and in 
uh, with NFL teams. A good question to Monty Austin for it would have been: Have you what, what sort of relationship do you have with Vance Joseph in the in the league? You know, much like the same Sean Payton question: Hey, have you come across? Have you and Sean Payton crossed paths? Have you and Vance Joseph crossed paths? Because if they haven't, Vance Joseph's kind of dealing with the same thing that Sean Payton is. You know, no real prior relationship with Monty, and I don't know how much of a factor that plays in all of this. Unless you lean heavily as an owner into, hey, just so you know, we really like Vance. We think he could be, you know, I want you to interview him, but we really like him. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I haven't dismissed it. They're going to interview him. But listen, they interviewed Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris, too, went a different direction. Yep. So maybe it's just out of respect to those guys, we'll do the interview. You know, out of respect to them, they've been here. But um, I still would be surprised if they, if they went in-house on the GM I'd be surprised if they then stayed in-house on the coach. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'd just be surprised at that. You're bringing in a... If you're going to go outside the organization, you're not going to hire oh, Adrian Wilson it, or Quentin Harris. Yeah, you, okay. So if so it, you're, you're saying by going external on the GM... It leads to be an external on the coach. sort of charted this course on being external on the coach. I agree right. with that. I right. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, like if... It's almost like it was going to be a daily double. Like if you were going to go internal on the GM, you'd hire Vance Joseph. If you're going to go external on the GM, you're going to hire somebody yeah, else. Yeah, you want... And, and, and you, you know, you don't want... Same old, same old. You want a new voice and a new direction, and that guy is going to want to hire somebody that I think, and I think the players will all say that they like Vance, respect Vance, but I'm sure that everybody will be okay with the change. One other answer from Monty Austin for today, um, developing Kyler. How much does that play a role in who you hire to be your next head coach? Listen, we're, we're looking for a head coach that can lead this entire organization. <laughs> we're looking for a head coach that can develop all the players, and Kyler being a big part of that. So we want a coach that uh, we want the right coach, and whether that's an offensive coach or a defensive coach, it, it frankly doesn't matter. We want the best coach. And when we have a plan for what we are going to be as an organization, we're going to develop our players and we're going to put them in the best position to make us successful and ultimately win. Just one other quick aside on this. I saw a tweet over the weekend from Jim Trotter, NFL insider for the NFL Network, and he pointed out that if you're thinking offensive-minded coach, defensive-minded coach, that a lot of defensive-minded coaches, when they're going through their job interviews right now for these gigs, they are not only coming up with a list of who they'd want to hire as their offensive coordinator, they're also coming up with a list of when my offensive coordinator leaves in a couple of years, who's here's who I'm going to replace my offensive coordinator. Well, you remember what with. Michael Bidwell said to us when he hired Cliff Kingsbury? That's why he did it because he didn't want to have to replace an offensive coordinator right. after two years. Apparently, some defensive minded head coaches are coming in and saying, "Yep, I'm going to hire this guy to be my OC, and just in case he's really, really good at it and decides to go become a head coach, this is who I think is in the pipeline that I would hire to replace that person, just so that they're prepared for that when that question comes up. Because surely with a defensive coach." That's going to come up. Who's your OC? And are you worried that guy's going to become a head coach two years from now? Because everybody wants to hire an offensive coach. I'm going to hire an offensive coach, and I'm going to hire a quarterback's coach that's going to learn under him. And if he leaves in two years, that's going to be my guy. Yep. Text us your thoughts on the fan duel text line at 620-620 right now. We take a step away from the Cardinals, their new GM, and their search for a head coach because we are just less than a month from the NBA's trade deadline. And boy, the Suns are struggling heading into that deadline. We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show. 
Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, if you've been uh, hanging with us today here on Burns and Gambo, you'll probably notice that it's 3.33 in the afternoon. We haven't said one word about the Phoenix Suns yet so far. We've been hyper-focused on Monty Austin Ford as the new general manager of the Cardinals and kind of you know what it means and what's next and that sort of thing. And quite frankly, the Phoenix Suns yesterday on MLK Day got their doors blown off Oof. by the Memphis Grizzlies, 136-106. A game that was competitive for a little while. In the first half, yeah. right? I mean, the Suns defensively were not very good in that second quarter, but offensively, they were hanging with Memphis. They were leading Memphis for a big stretch there in the second quarter. And man, then the third quarter happened, and Memphis just stomped all yeah. over John Moran the kept Suns. knocking down threes. Yep. Like he was hitting a bunch of threes, and yeah, then the game got away from him, and it was a it was a blowout. I mean, it was you know at one point it was twelve, then it was eighteen, then it was twenty, and it was just nothing the Suns could do to get back in the game. They did look like for a half, like hey, they could play with them, like you know, they could, you know, they got to surprise them. Maybe Memphis overlooked them. Remember the one win that the Suns had, Maurice, the one win that they have during this terrible stretch of basketball was against Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think it was on December twenty seventh. They beat Memphis. It was a good win, and it was a good win for them. It was the last. Win they've had. But it felt like the last good win. It was also yeah, it was a good win. I think it was also the last loss that Memphis had. Yes. They I don't think lost they've since. lost since then. So, you know, they're playing really good basketball. The Suns are just reeling right now. And you look at the standings and they just keep... We talked about that stretch. Minnesota-Memphis. That stretch, those two games last week. Like, boy, you'd like to split. You don't want to go 0-2 because you're going to find yourself like... Like, there's only three teams in the Western Conference that have a worse record than the Phoenix Suns right now. I know. Only three. I know. Look at those standings. I'm looking at the standings. It's hard for my brain to process it, right? Because I'm just looking at it and I'm seeing Golden State at 7, Utah at 8, Minnesota at 9, Portland at 10. Those are the play-in teams right now. I'm seeing Oklahoma City ahead of the Suns for 11, and then I'm seeing the Phoenix Suns at number 12, in essence, in the West with a 21-24 and record. Now, once again, they're they're not that far off from getting back into the play-in tournament, and yeah, this brutal stretch of schedule is just about done. They've got Brooklyn on Thursday. They've got Indiana on Saturday. Mm-hmm. They've got Memphis again, but they're back home. They're not on the road. And then after that Memphis game, things kind of ease up a little bit, and presumably they'll start to get some bodies back, maybe even as soon as this week. We might see Cam Johnson very, very soon. We might see Chris Paul very, very soon. Devin Booker's still a week or so away from being reevaluated. Cam Payne still has a way to go. Cambo, at this point, it's just gotten to this point of where do you need to be win-loss record-wise at the beginning of February so that when you get guys back, you're still within striking distance Oof. to get back into the play-in tournament or to get into the sixth seed? Because right, you've got to keep it close enough so that when you get your guys back, you can make that final push over the last yeah, 30 they're, games. They're, they're fine now. They're only two games back at the sixth seed in the loss column. That's the Clippers. problem is that there's one, two, three, four, five teams in between them and the Clippers. <laughs> That's the problem. The, the other issue, when we talked about this last week, is, you know, is, is time really on your side? They've played 45 basketball games. That means there's only 37 left. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, you just start looking at that. You start to do the math and it's like, OK, like they're not going to be a one seed or a two seed oh, no. or a three no, seed. No, no. I don't even think at this point that they could get a, to get a four seed. I, I think that's probably with the Minnesota Memphis combination. That might be out of the out of the picture, being a top four seed. Kellen. And we'll talk with him about this this week if he doesn't write about it beforehand. Kind of pointed out today on Arizona Sports dot com, our own Kellen Olson, that on February 1st, the Suns play the Atlanta Hawks. They have 30 games left on the season from that moment on. Okay, if they enter that game with a 23 and 29 record, which would mean they lose five of their next seven until they get to February 1st. He kind of asks the question, can they go 20 and 10 over those last 30 games? Can they go 23 and 7 over those last 30 games when they get all their guys back and they're healthy and they're like the full version of the Suns plus a Jake Crowder trade? And they have to stay healthy. And they stay healthy. They've been injured all year. And and that's part of the problem, too. He guesstimates that if the Suns can finish somewhere between 44 and 48 wins, they'll probably get a top six seed. But that means they're getting their guys back healthy. That means having their guys play well and stay healthy when they get them back. Because, you know, there's going to be some ramp up for Booker. There's definitely going to be some ramp up for Cam Johnson. God, he hasn't played since the 4th of November, right? I mean, it it goes way more of December. You have to go way back for somebody like that. No, it was November. So, I mean, it's going to take these guys a while to find their rhythm. I just hope they're able to stay close enough so that when they get their guys back, they can make some kind of a push, you know? And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to or not. I really don't. I think at this point, it's a matter of just, you know, and, and I, that's why I don't, I, I think I'm out of the, I want to make a big trade right now for the Phoenix Suns. I'm kind of out of it. I mean, they're, listen, I know you don't want to hear it, but they're in a pretty good position right now, draft pick wise, and, you know, as far as getting a good, like, they're a lottery team right now, know, for goodness but, sake. But, but I, th- I think, you're, I, honestly, all due respect, I think you're looking at the draft pick all wrong. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at the draft pick as I'd rather save that asset and make a trade in the offseason okay, if then, I trade then, it. Then you're looking get it right. I thought you were looking at that draft pick like you want to draft a player. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to draft a player with no, the draft pick. No, if I could take that draft pick, pick and, and it's go. a... And that's why I don't want to like... I, I don't want to go all in on a on a player right now. This this team is just... I think we got to realize this is not going to be the Phoenix Suns year. They're going to have to regroup and they're going to have to make a decision and look, I'm going to be honest with you right now. If you ask me today, I'm, I'm, I'm off of Chris Paul after this year. I'm off. I'm off of Chris Paul. That's- I pay him fifteen million, but I don't pay him thirty. It's been hard to know. We've we haven't seen him much this year, and when we do see him, he doesn't look like but a shell of his former self. He's still I mean, okay, but is he a thirty million dollar player? Not for me, he's not. No, no and no, that's the thing. Me, and he gets not. injured now and stuff. So, like, at a year from now, I mean, do I now put another year of wear and tear and age on Chris Paul? I can get off of that for fifteen million dollars. If I'm James Jones. I'm getting off of that contract. Now, I'll tease ahead to tomorrow, and I don't want to guarantee anything because I know how these things work, and I know you do too since you're the one who's going to be doing the work on this. We're, I, we, we are fully aware of the Van Vliet stuff that's out there. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people are coming to us wanting to know what's going on with the Van Vliet stuff. And to be honest with you, we've been so um, obsessed with the Cardinals' new GM and kind of finding out everything we can about that. I, we, I'll just tell you what's being reported. Sham Sharania on Tuesday linked the Suns to Toronto guard Fred Van Vliet. 
a player that I know in the past you've had a lot of interest in. Uh, he wrote, the Suns and the Magic have emerged as potential free agent suitors for Van Vliet. The Suns and the Magic, free agent suitors for Van Vliet. The problem with that, yeah, Van Vliet's going to be a free agent next year. The Suns don't have the kind of money to go get Van Vliet next year. And they would want Mikael Bridges for Van Vliet if they traded him. They would want Mikael. The problem is with Van Vliet is he's getting older. They would have to play smaller. That would hurt them. They want wings around Devin. My conversations, what I've kind of taken out of that, I kind of don't I, I don't think that Van Vliet is an option. And I was you know, Shams story and Shams has had, you know, a lot of this stuff that's has that has been incorrect. So um you know, last week when I reported that the Suns were going to sign a guy to a 10-day contract the next day, I wasn't sure who it was, but I told you they would sign somebody a 10-day contract. We talked about Toronto and what, you know, we talked about what they would want for Pascal Siakam, what they would want for OG Ananobi, what they would want for Van Vliet. And for Pascal Siakam, I would expect that they would want Cam McHale and multiple draft picks. And I think for OG, they'd want Cam J and draft picks. And I think for Van Vliet, I think they would probably want to try to get McHale Bridges for Van Vliet. There is an expected sell-off in Toronto. One other option for the Suns is the trade for Van Vliet. Now you mentioned the cost and then re-sign him in the offseason when you've got his bird rights and you can give him more and go into the luxury tax. But but it, it, it I'm kind of factoring this story with what you've previously reported about Van Vliet and it just, first of all, it seems like signing him, just flat out signing him as a free agent seems very difficult when you look at the money and then trading for him becomes difficult when you talk about what you'd have to give up to get him. Something else out there, too, about the Suns. Yahoo's Jake Fisher, who also wrote a story today about the Raptors trade options, noted again that Toronto has shown interest in bigs, and he included Phoenix center DeAndre Ayton in that. That surprises me, just because it doesn't seem like DeAndre Ayton has had the kind of season that would make teams be interested in him and that contract. But the deadline's coming up on February 9th. That'll be here in a matter of no time at all, and we'll see. We'll see if that gets any kind of traction or any deal gets any kind of track because I'm with you at this point you still got to trade Jay Crowder all right that's got to happen by the deadline okay but something big something franchise altering just doesn't feel like this is the year to, to do, do that. something yeah. like that. It just doesn't feel like yes, this year is you know, that. And, and listen, if you decide at the end of the offseason that you're not going to bring Chris back, well, then maybe you take those draft picks and you find yourself the best point guard you could find. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo Show, we talked NFC. But what about the AFC games? The highlights including the third largest comeback in the history of the NFL postseason and a visit to Waffle House afterwards. That's next, huh. Burns and Gambo. And Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cook puts it down. Patterson's kick is up. The field goal is good! 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 The Jaguars have won it! The Jaguars have won it! They have come back from 27 nothing to win the game and move on! How good is that? Unfrickin' believable. Well, how you didn't give me the Al Michaels call? Why didn't we get the Al Michaels Tony Dungy call? What was wrong with that one? Oh, you didn't hear about this? No, what happened with the Al Michaels call? I, I didn't hear it. Right. Oh, Mitch is giving us the one Remember, finger. it was a 27-nothing comeback. Right. Down 27 to nothing. Yeah, I know. Could have showed a little enthusiasm, maybe? Oh, no, was, was there maybe not a little of, excitement? Not a lot of enthusiasm for Al Michaels? Right, here you go. Here's Al Michaels. Here we go for the win. 
got it, but there's a flag down. There's a flag down as everybody's running out onto the field, but there's a penalty marker. And they call it on the defense. Unbelievable. Uh, that, that is unbelievable. Man, the ref was more excited than Al Michaels. Man, Al Michaels and Tony Dungy. <laughs> Woo! They went, they, they went dead. He threw four interceptions in the first half. And they came back to win. That's funny. I mean, come on, Al. I mean, uh, I mean you're not going to say, do you believe in miracles? But give me something. Enthusiasm. Give me something. Enthusiasm. And the kick yeah. is up. And it's good. <laughs> There's a flag on the field. No, I, didn't, and I didn't hear that. I guess the game's over. <laughs> wow. Like. Wow. I was. My God. He got uh, torched on that. He got just torched. I just torched. I didn't see that. No. Nah, was, he's like 80 years old. And it's uh, just like, I mean, you got to. The magnitude of of the game. I mean, they were down twenty seven to nothing, and they came back to win. I'm I mean, cut that him was... a little slack. He's one of the best play by play voices we've had sure. in this or any other generation. But I would yeah. having not heard that. I was watching the game at a sports book in Vegas, and they, they didn't. I couldn't hear Al Michaels call, or I was too busy yelling over the fact of what happened. Twenty seven to nothing, with three minutes and eighteen seconds remaining in the second quarter. The Jags, by all metrics, had about a 1% chance of winning that game. I think even more than the score was the plus-five turnover differential that the L.A. Chargers had in that game. You don't lose games where you are forcing five turnovers more than the other team. You're you're not losing that game. You never lose that game. You're not supposed to lose a game like that. Uh, I thought for sure Brandon Staley was getting gassed 24 hours after that game. They fired like half his coaching staff. The offensive coordinator's gone. Some other coaches gone. But listen, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, all the credit. In the way. Somebody tweeted me at halftime, do you still want Trevor Lawrence over Kyler Murray? And I was like, yeah. Like, yeah, I still do. In the second half. In the like, second half. Right, that, that, that right, I do. <laughs> and Trevor Lawrence goes out there. And you look at the 10. Here's his first half. You ready? Yeah. 10 for 24 for 77 yards with one touchdown and four interceptions. Passer rating of 24.5. Second half, 18 out of 23 for 211 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a Passer rating of 144.5. Like, I mean, what a difference. Oh, yeah. The fact that he, and here's what you got to like about the kid. The fact that he shook off that first half. Asante Samuel had three picks on him. The fact that he shook that off and came back and performed so well in the second half is tremendous. Just tremendous. It was tremendous. It was incredible to watch. Yeah. It was, and like I say, I thought for sure. And I was watching Good Morning Football yesterday, and they said, look, the first 24 hours were so crucial for the L.A. Chargers, and if they weren't going to move off of Brandon Staley after the first 24 hours, then they probably weren't going to. And you're right. They fired yeah. their offensive coordinator and others today. And then the best, maybe not the best part, because I don't know if it gets better than rallying from 27 to nothing down. But then you see the video of Trevor Lawrence just strolling into a Waffle House, all good. Yeah. You know, apparently he got he called ahead and got like a reservation for the Waffle. You can make reservations at the Waffle wait, House. Wait, 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 wait! No, he took reservations. I, I saw a tweet. I should have I should have favorited it because I, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it now. But apparently he like called ahead and said, "Yeah, we're coming." You know, we're, we're we're coming to Waffle House, and they I don't know if it's a reservation, but they basically saved Found him a it. table. Right? He says his wife made a reservation at Waffle House. Yeah, 
Marissa called ahead to reserve space after Scherf and EJ Perry revealed to Trevor they had never been. Trevor Lawrence is the first person known to man to get a reservation at Waffle House. Ah, oh, man. That's when you know you're, you're, you're somebody. When you can call Waffle yeah. House. We'll save you a table. Yeah, you're good. You're fine. Trevor we'll Lawrence just won the game. What about that fourth and one play to Travis Etienne? I mean, that was, oh. I mean, one of the greatest play calls. Fourth and one, they sell out. The Jaguars get the ball back. 309 left after the, the Chargers got three and out. And Christian Kirk, unbelievable place by Chris. He had a 12-yard catch, an 8-yard catch, but on fourth and one, the play of the game. And Travis Etienne goes for 24 yards to set up the winning field goal. You know, the thing that didn't get talked about was the char- The Chargers had a 40-yard field goal that missed. That could have been a big difference in them winning the game. They had set up a 40-yard field attempt, and it was no good. It would have put them up 33-20. to 20. Yeah. So they would have been up 33-20. Instead, it stays 30-20. to 20. The Chargers come back. They score. They go for two. It's 30-28. to 28, And then they win it with the field goal. Incredible game. Since we're staying in the AFC, um, James Harrison flashbacks anyone? the requisite amount of enthusiasm uh-huh. I need for my national That's play by play want. guy. That's... Mike Tirico showing Al Michaels how it's done. Exactly. Let me show you how it's done, Al. That's how we do it around here. Wow. That was just an incredible play. I mean, and, and you know, Dobbins was so pissed off afterwards. Oh, he was. And, man, he was just... <laughs> he was so... He's like, he should have never been in that, that situation. situation. It should have been used me. more. Give me the ball. He didn't get... After his touchdown, he didn't have one single red zone touch. No. After his touchdown in the second quarter, it's J.K. Dobbins. That one. I mean, it was almost like a, it was almost like a block shot, right? Hudley goes up and then puts the ball up and then boom. And I was like, just get that out of here. It's like they kept him in trouble swatting right. it. It goes right to Hubbard, and then and then he goes all the way down the field, and everybody's running with him and looking. And meanwhile, you know, here comes uh, what was his name coming in for a Mark block? Andrews. Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews trying to come my, in for which it could have been a penalty. I mean, that could have been a penalty. Is the, is the Bengals dude pushes him in the back and then puts his hands up like I didn't touch him. I didn't touch him. I, right. I, I, did you shoved it right in the back? You guys had a chance to block him 40 yards earlier. They you just didn't. kept looking around, looking around. You didn't see him coming? And then the craziest part was, man, that game could have been tied. The Porsche dropped the ball in the end zone yes. on, the, on the Hail Mary. It was right in his hands. It was right there. It was, it was right there. It was crazy. So your AFC playoffs now. The early game on Saturday, Jacksonville taking on Kansas City. That's a 2.30 kickoff. And then on Sunday, the early game, a 1 o'clock kickoff on Sunday. The Bengals taking on the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk a little bit more about the Bills later. That they was a, did not look very good in that game. Sloppy game, and they did not look they very did not good look at all. Good, no. When we come back, all of the top stories of the day in one place. We'll catch up on everything. The four o'clock reset is next. I'm Burns and Gambo.